Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. She's Ann Friedman. She's Amina Tussauds. Hi. Hi. Um, today we're talking about bad bosses. What? Is that the agenda? Did I just do the agenda? No, it is. Uh, I was being I was being faux naive about today's agenda. No, I know, but I'm also like, <laughs> did I just do it? I love it. Sorry to everyone who is listening to this from last week. I uh, I'm assuming the duties of agenda for now, so we'll see. You know what it is? It's that years into our podcast relationship, we are spicing things up by switching roles. Like that is what's going on. Like I, the palpable joy when we say each other's name. What wow, can I say? The six year itch instead of the seven year itch. I, I love mean. It. Yeah, bad bosses. You don't have to name names, but I would love to hear about some of the bad bosses you've had in your life. Wow. I, you know, when you asked me that question, all I'm thinking of is, have I ever had a good boss? <laughs> you know, I'm like, what? I almost spit my water out. <laughs> I, I have had some not great bosses on the level of, and also to be fair, I, I have had some good bosses now that I have thought about it. But I think that like my dominant feeling of bad boss is... Definitely, like, someone who is borderline abusive. Like, I've never had, um, I've never had, like, someone yell at me or slam things because I had always told myself that, like, for me, that was a very clear, like, line in the sand. Whenever Abuse, yeah. Yeah, whenever people tell me these, like, stories of, you know, other industries are like, you have to pay your dues, and then they're like, my boss threw a thing at me. I'm like, no, that's, like, literally assault. You know what I mean? Like, there's no place in the workplace for this. And this is not to, like, victim blame. It's just truly that... Um, there's this pervasive feeling that certain kind of behavior is okay by certain kinds of people. But so I definitely had bosses in my 20s who were just like people who did not communicate well at all and also expected you to read their minds and also try to give you demeaning work that was not your work. The boss is always, you know, like never anything for you to do, but there's always like coffee to be fetched. And I was like, well, actually... Um, this is not Hollywood. I don't actually have to pay my dues. And also the Department of Labor says that I don't have to do this. That is like one strain of bad boss. Also just like bosses that were not good leaders. Mm. That is something that I think was really hard, especially when you're working on a team, you know, and realizing that there's so much infighting or people don't trust each other. Or people don't like each other. And years later now I'm like, oh, this was nobody's fault. But the people who were on top layered on top of us who could have fixed this problem Mm -hmm. and everything trickled down. Um, Yeah, a lot of like bad dude, like very typical like bad dude boss behavior. Like harassy behavior, bullying behavior? Bullying behavior. Uh I had one boss that was like definitely a bully, like did not bully me, but bullied a lot of other people on our team. And I think about that work situation a lot because I think that those of us who were not bullied, like saw other people get bullied and like did not know how to respond to it. And... Again, like, this boss was enabled by, like, a board that knew about his bullying behavior. He was reported, like, multiple times to the board. And I think one time they put him on, like, a, you know, they were like, go to Italy for three months and find yourself. Oh, my God. And they thought that that would solve problems. And it's like, no. He literally went to the most beautiful place in the world to recharge the bully batteries. And then came back even worse. And so there was... It makes me nauseous, physically ill. I know. There was a lot of, like, yelling, and there was a lot of, like, screaming. And again, it wasn't directed towards me. 
But, uh, you know, like, I had to live with the consequences of that every day. And it was a work environment that was really... That was definitely the job that every morning that I woke up, I had a knot in my stomach. And I didn't know that you weren't supposed to feel that way about work. Mm-hmm. And every day, it's just like this... The, as soon as I got close to the door, I just felt like I wanted to throw up. And I was like, eh, maybe I'm not built for offices. And it's like, no, I'm just not built for bullying environments. Like, that's the issue. Oh, my God. I I really relate to what you were saying about working alongside people who are the targets of really horrible bullying behavior by bosses because you're right about it being like an environment thing, right? It's not just the person who is being targeted by this boss who is affected. And when I think about the worst bosses that I've ever had, in most cases, I was not bearing the brunt of their bad behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the hands-down worst boss I ever had, who I can name because it's totally public, is this guy Don Hazen, who used to be the editor of Alternet, which is a magazine I worked at for Two months, an online magazine I worked at for two months because I because I uh, because I immediately started looking for a new job after I was hired. Anyway, you can listen to an episode of This American Life all about his bad behavior, um, which is why it's fine to name him. But I will say that I knew um, almost all the women who are interviewed in that um, episode, and I knew many other women who were victimized by this guy. And even though he said, like, a couple of shitty things to me and did do things like slam doors in my face, I came to really dread any email that ended with a winky face emoticon because it, it always contained, like, his his worst vitriol. And then he would sign off with, a, with like, that the sideways winky face would haunt me. Um, but mostly I felt, like, some kind of complicity or guilt that I was not on the receiving end of as much shit as a lot of the women I was working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, of course, that it's not my fault that he was mistreating me and his other employees and that I just didn't happen to have it as bad as other people. Not my fault. But like, but also trying to figure out how to navigate that and be an ally to those people. And I remember when I took another job and got out, just that feeling of like, oh my God, I am leaving these people behind on in this environment. Like, yeah, yeah like the worst. Yeah, the absolute worst. And also just the Obviously, like, hindsight is everything. So you you see it more in context. Mm. And I think that in the culture, we're having more conversations about this. Like, I think about these bullying bosses so much because when I think about some of the worst, like, stories that have come out, you know, from the, the, the basically, like, the men that have been fired in the Me Too movement, in addition to being harassers, a lot of them were bullies. Oh, completely. A lot of them are bullies. And I think that we're at a place where, like, yeah, you probably should not harass people at work. You know, we have laws against that. Whether they're followed or not is a different is a different issue, but the bullying question is so pervasive, and it's so hard to talk about. It's so hard to talk about because you're pointing towards this behavior that you know, in some ways, does not code as discriminatory in the way that we you know that we talk about discrimination. But this is the canary in the coal mine of a lot of other things. It's like if you're getting away with literally bullying people at work, what else are you getting away with? And if we can't talk about if we can't talk about bullies. How are we even supposed to talk about harassment? And that is, that's something that's always in the back of my mind. And I just, you know, I mean, like, now I am hashtag blessed, you know, to work with a... to work with people that I like a lot. Gina and I don't bully you. I know. You and, you and Gina do not, like, whatever the opposite of bullying is, is what I get. I get too much love and support, and that's its own problem. <laughs> because I am not built to be this loved and supported. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm like, that's the heart of my darkness. My coworkers love me. <laughs> so, like, they care about my well-being. I can't handle it. 
but you know, I've like I, I've I've gotten to make my own work environment, and I think that in thinking about that, I'm also understanding that work environments are designed. You know, and whether you do something about it or not is also by design. I'm like you are you are making your work environment by how whatever your behavior is, and you're so right about that survivor's guilt. There's just this feeling of knowing that I'm like I know people who are in like terrible work situations, and like I personally cannot do anything about it but also it should not be my responsibility to do anything about it and i'm just like wondering how as a society we are really thinking about this because we spend so much time at work you're spending more time at work than you spend at home so work should be amazing totally and i think that a couple of things one is that listening to you talk about like bullying behavior being an indication that you cannot respect other boundaries and you do not know how to ethically use your power is is true. But I think when you take um, sex out of the equation or like flirtation or anything in that realm out of the equation, it becomes very quickly this kind of slippery slope between bullying behavior to, well, I'm I just demand a lot of my staff or like, you know, mm-hmm. it can be very difficult to say. And especially because I think even good bosses are not going to be praising you all the time. Of course, like a good boss, a good boss is not you know, going to always say, like, you're doing a great job if you are not. And so finding that line from, okay, this is someone who is actually engaging in toxic workplace behavior and is demanding way too much, like, that is outside your job description, that is outside the bounds of, like, employment law even. Um, And then on the other hand, like, this is just like, hey, you signed up for a hard job in a difficult field. And sometimes we have deadlines. Like that there is a lot of gray area between those two poles. And I think that that is one thing that makes bullying in particular something that is more pervasive and and in many ways harder to talk about. Yeah. And the other thing I want to mention, you know, as you 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 use this term survivor's guilt and that is like 100% how I felt when I moved on from this job and I think that in large part because it is a privilege to be able to leave a job where you are bullied and um, (laughs) otherwise mistreated. I think it should not be. But in many cases, your ability to leave depends on your financial security net, possibly even what kind of money your family has. Um, It has to do with, like, you know, your education and connections, all the other things that lead people to, you know, get early jobs and move up in their careers are the kinds of things that keep them in jobs that are awful for them. And so I I sort of, I just want to say that, like, I think that that was also bound up in some of my feelings is like knowing that people at that workplace, it wasn't that they were sticking around because they thought it was going to get better. It's like they didn't have another option. And so um, I just feel like that has to be said as part of this conversation, too. Right. I think I think that you're correct in saying that. I also think that a thing that is really complicated for me in hearing you say that is I know that that's true at a lot of job levels, but there are also job levels at which that is not true. Like, job security is something that everybody should have. Totally. Right? And I think that depending on, the, like, the kinds of structures that you and I are talking about are corporate structures. Mm. And so when I think about, like, what it means to, like, be in a work in a workforce that is that tough, I think that it's, it is completely, like, you're correct, it is completely unfair to ask people to step away from their dream careers. Um, because the behavior is bad, which is essentially like what all of Me Too has been. It's whenever you think about like so many women who were like, I want to be a costume designer. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a this. And then now they're doing something else that like that makes me physically sick Mm -hmm. because you should not have to be the one that like bears the brunt of that. But I also think that it is true in certain corporate structures. I'm thinking about tech in particular, 
where the capitalism is just like very it's like laid bare to you when you go <laughs> when you walk into that lion's den and it's probably true in banking and it's true in in, in some industries and i want to be really clear that i'm not saying that people choose to go work at places that are bad like no like bosses should not be bad and structures should not like should not be bad but i don't know that it is sustainable for people to think that you can go work somewhere that already has a reputation for being bad and thinking that you have to tough it out you know of saying well i work in like i don't know say a, a very tough kind of startup environment or i'm working at a not going to name the bank or the venture whatever that is like everybody knows is bad and their work in particular is like fueled by a kind of capitalism that is also toxic and telling this thing of telling yourself that like whether you're you're going and saying i think i'm going to change it i'm going to i'm going to change the culture i was like mm. One person doesn't change culture, so that's not what you're doing. But you are you are subjecting yourself to a place that's really hard. I think that the only way that you can make that work is by telling yourself that if it gets to a point where you can no longer sustain it, you can leave. And the truth is that some of those jobs do pay enough that you have the privilege of leaving. But at the same time, like, can you put a price on your own mental health and can you put a price on your own integrity? That's something that I negotiated all of the time in my in my time in tech. I left because I wanted to, not because I felt an imperative to. But I do think that that should also be part of the culture. And I think that that's very different. You know, for me, like, it's very different if you're someone who is, say, like, working in customer service at a tech company. I was like, you are you are nowhere in the power structure that you are getting equity and you're, you know, whatever. I was like, you are the, the bottom of the food chain versus someone who is, like, an engineering leader or you are someone who is, like, very comfortably middle class and like a college degree and this job skill that you have, you can move somewhere else. The price will be high for you. But I think that it is also very naive at this point with all of the reporting and the everything that we know for people to think that there are places that you can go work where you will single-handedly make it better or that you should tough it out for whatever your like professional career reasons are. Right. And I think like what we're both saying is just like the circumstances are different depending on your experience level and how connected you are to people and mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, this is not like a And also how secure you just feel in yourself. Sure. I think that sometimes I don't know because it's like once you start saying when when you put it that way, I was like structurally then it like I feel differently about like say a marginalized person who is working in this kind of environment than I feel about pretty much like any white person who is mm-hmm. working in this kind of environment, right? And I think that so much of it is decoupling your own your own feelings from the, it's like, like, what is going on here, you know? And I think that a lot of times, all I am trying to say, and I feel like I'm being very careful in choosing my words because, I yeah, I was like, work should not be tough. That is just the bottom line for me. I'm like, whether you work at BlackRock or you work in the army or you work, you know, at a tech company or you work at a hospital, it should not be hard. We should all be, we should be treating people with like respect and dignity. But I also think that so many feelings about, you know, your amount of privilege or your amount of being able to step away, a lot of that is all feels very personal. And the structural issue sometimes does not match up. The structural reality does not match up to the own personal feelings that you have about your place in the world. I want to go back to that thing about like how it can be a slippery slope. Or there's a lot of gray area between this is an outright 
toxic work situation or a, a really bullying boss. And then this is someone who is just demanding a lot for a short mm-hmm. period of time while we get through a deadline. Because when I think about that, like work should not be hard, like that is true in a kind of like this is crushing my soul, grinding everyday yeah. reality. I feel personally dismissed. My humanity is not present here. You know, feelings like that. I totally agree that that should not be a part of anyone's working experience. But have I had jobs? Have I worked for bosses where it's been hard, like really hard at like multiple points? Like the answer is yeah. And I think that like that has not necessarily always been in a toxic environment or yeah. for a bullying boss. And mm-hmm. so I think that, that that can be very difficult for yourself as a human. Um, it's sort of like, you know, that feeling of like, oh, is what's happening some kind of bigotry or bias toward me? Or am I just seeing things where they don't exist? Or like how, you know, like that that kind of like, you know, societal level gaslighting that happens yeah. um, to people. I think is also present in this situation where you're like, oh, is it that I can't hack it during this difficult deadline period or in the run up to this meeting or whatever it is that's like the thing that's everyone is freaking out about in your workplace at that moment? Or is it that this is an ongoing negative environment that is like fundamentally awful for me? And, you know, and I think like some of how you come down on that question really is like a what is your personal orientation toward, like, work and capitalism? Yeah, yeah. You know? I agree with you. I also think that so much of this conversation, for me too, is about where you come down on the dignity of work, just mm. period, because you and I are a particular strata of worker. We were, like, groomed to gun for a certain kind of job. And I think that a lot of people who are listening to the podcast are the same. It's like you work really hard and then some you land in like some sort of office where you work your way up and then you do this thing. And so many times when, especially when I was working in tech and people would complain and whether it was that thing of the work was really hard in that moment, but just, you know, like it was personally challenging or was like, no, work is hard because maybe our company is doing something evil. <laughs> Both times, like a question that I would ask all the time was, Personally, like, why am I still here? I was like, maybe I should be a carpenter. Maybe I should, you know, like, maybe I was like, maybe my skill and my passion is somewhere else. But I was raised in a way that there's only a certain kind of job that I know to look at and feel that I can do. That's something that I think about all the time where it's like, no, we don't all have to work in media. Actually, like, probably we shouldn't. And I thought this also a lot when, you know, like when we were living in D.C. and like struggling so much. Where I was like, why am I struggling so much for this job that pays me less than $30,000 a year. We both struggled and so just, hard for less than $30,000 a year. You know, but I, but I, like, <laughs> now I think about that all the time and I was like, wow, I could have like done something else with my life. I really, I could have, right? But at the time, and something that I'm really ashamed of is at the time, like, I didn't think so. I like did not think that there was another category of job that was something that I should aspire to or that I should strive for. And I think that so much of that is like how we raise people. It's the system that you go into the minute that you go to that you go to college. It's it's just a way that we talk about job is also like very reductive. And there are, um, you know, they're just like all kinds of occupations that are also dignified. And I think that for me, at the end of the day, it was really saying to myself, I need to figure out a way to pay for the life that I want to live. And however I do that should be a way that I am I am happy and fulfilled. But that that is a new framework, and I wish that I had had that from, like, age 16 onwards. Mm. 
I want to bring this back to bosses because I think that when I when I think about the bad bosses that I have had, they have really exploited all of the stuff that you were describing and really kind of stoked my insecurities about mm. my ability to to find another job or to do the kind of work I really wanted to do at that job or elsewhere. And and that is really, I think, a hallmark of this person is not asking a lot of me because we are going through like a different difficult growth period or like you know something is is in the immediate future that we're all working toward really hard that's a sign that this person is like trying to keep my salary low keep me here like suck me like a capitalist leech until I am fully dry and unable to even contemplate like hunting for a job somewhere else so yeah so just to like bring that feeling back to bosses because I think it is it is very much related and and that sense of like does this boss actually care that I'm learning things and gaining new skills and maybe considering all the options available to me both within this work environment and elsewhere like those are the kinds of questions that that a good boss will be prompting <laughs> I all I can think of is when Cardi is like, "You're a worker, bitch." It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like, you're either the boss or you're a worker. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's interesting too because I'm thinking a lot about my own career development, and by the time that I got to a place where I was managing people, and it was very clear that I was also on this track to be a boss. Not saying that I had compassion for the bad bosses, but I started to understand how bad bosses were made. You oh, it's know? hard to be a boss. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. You have no support. Like, no one teaches you how to be a boss. Everyone is cosplaying the last boss that they had or the boss that they wish they had. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those two things. And on top of that, there is so much pressure and there's so much insecurity And I've worked at, like, great companies, and some of them do have support where you're like, okay, great, they're going to send you to a manager training. Like, someone is, you know, you're actually going to learn the ropes of how do I do my own job and also be a coach for all these other people, like a coach and a therapist and a mom for everyone. But on top of that, I have to do my own work every day, and I have, like, 17 meetings a day. You have to stay on top of everything. I started to see the structure of that, and, and it would just make me mad because I was like, if you were running, like, say you were a CEO of somewhere, wouldn't you want everyone who's in charge of someone at your company to be the best kind of boss they could have so that you could get the best kind of work out of every single human being there? You would you would think that it were that simple, but that's not what happens. The realization, too, that anytime that your boss takes out something out on you, it's probably because somebody took something out on them, that you're like, oh, I am paying for the sins of someone else in the trickle-down structure that I'm in is a feeling that took me a really long like it was a it was always a pervasive feeling I had and once I started seeing all of those pieces on the chessboard I was like yeah this is a organizational structures are in shambles and people at the bottom of them suffer the most Mm -hmm. have the people at the bottom of them have the least information the least transparency and suffer the most Mm -hmm. about everything that's going on here is a kind of hierarchy we have that really butts up against, like, every messaging that capitalist America tries to lie to you about. That's like, we're a family. It's like, mm, no. Team. Hey, team. Right. I'm like, <laughs> in families, we don't have bosses. <laughs> um, you know, like, in families, people uh, usually treat each other better. And also, work is work. It's not family. Like, that's one I think the biggest lies that, like, young people believe when they go work at some of these newfangled, like, however they're recruiting people now. Newfangled. <laughs> Whatever thing. I'm old. But I just, you know, like, I hear it all the time. I see it all the time. People are like, oh, we're a family here. We're this. I'm like, no, you're not a family. Your family does not pay you money to show up, like, five days a week somewhere. This is not how this works. But No, your family emotionally blackmails you to show up. I was like, that's different. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you're poor and hurt. Um, But, you know, it's just that really all of the messages around 
how you are supposed to be at work, they're convoluted with all these other messages about how you're supposed to be in community and in society with people, and it never matches up. It's like, well, actually, if your work did care about you, we would pay everyone fair wages. We would just do that in America. If work were family, all of these... You know, it's like, I think especially at places that are prone to saying that, it's like, mm, if you were a fast food restaurant and you're lying to your hourly employees about how you want to treat them, you actually have a mechanism for making them feel good. And for families, like, pay them a living wage. Let's just do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, pay the women in your company, like, the same that you pay. Like, companies, I mean, like, it's it's almost like you don't collect the salary information and you have no idea about the inequity that is happening. It's almost like you don't want to know about the inequity right. that's happening. And I'm like, yeah. they know. And then... People people just leave feeling so confused and so hurt. And I think so much about all of the bad messaging that I received as a new person in the workforce and how confusing that is to your sense of self, especially when you come in with all of these ideals or you come in with just like a very clear sense of who you want to be in the workforce and what you want to achieve. And that just does not line up with the reality a lot of times of, of how it shakes out in the professional world. Mm. Let's take a quick break. One thing that's definitely been interesting, I'm using interesting in the Midwest sense of the mm. word interesting. Mm, interesting. Mm. The judgiest interesting. Interesting. <laughs> One thing that's really interesting in this conversation about bad bosses, because I think that we're seeing a lot of reporting about both like workplaces that are trying to organize themselves or bad bosses just being really exposed in a way that I don't think was true even a, a decade ago, at least for me, or maybe it's just that these industries are more relevant and that we're seeing actual consequences, is a lot of this reporting is also about women behaving badly in the workforce. Right, it's and, not only male bosses. Yeah, it's not only male bosses who are bad bosses. That conversation is interesting to me on so many levels, because on one hand, you have the people who are like, if they were a man, would you talk about them like this? And you're like, well, they're a literal lady CEO, so yes, <laughs> we would talk about them like this. But also the truth of, you know, sometimes feeling like some of these stories are contextualized in a way that doesn't always sit right with me, or um, that it is inevitable that if the boss is a woman, that is a huge factor in how we talk about it. And that's not to excuse the bad behavior, but um, there is a nuance there. One iconic bad boss, like iconic is the wrong word, but like one, uh, you know, very... Recently uh, noteworthy. Recently noteworthy. Yeah, she's not iconic at all. But one like noteworthy <laughs> bad boss wow. is, uh, I mean, you know, bad, bad behavior is not iconic is what I mean. Okay. Um, you know, bad behavior is, but bad behavior is not <laughs> Um, (laughs) is Amy Klobuchar. Mm. And that story is interesting to me on so many levels because on one hand, it has, like, so many echoes of, um, like, bullying, these, like, very pervasive bullying, or even, like, some of these, like, very pervasive Me Too stories in the sense that everyone is like, everyone knows. And you're like, well, you know, 
who is everyone and how do they know and how is that, you know, like, what is that? And then now it is out in the public. And so, you know, I think the incident that so many people refer to is her throwing a comb at one of her staffers. And Can I just back up yes. and like tell t- me? Yeah, I just want to read that because it's it. from a year ago. So Please I feel like it. it feels it's like it's only been a year. Yes. It feels like a decade of my life. It feels like a decade and yesterday. Anyway, tell me. so the headline of this New York Times article is how Amy Klobuchar treats her staff. And the the first line of the article is Senator Amy Klobuchar was hungry, forkless and losing patience. And it goes on to describe a trip to South Carolina in 2008 where an aide had gotten her a salad and he had forgotten to get a plastic fork or like whatever they didn't. He didn't have a plastic fork for her salad. And so here's the New York Times. What happened next was typical. Ms. Klobuchar berated her aide instantly for the slip up. What happened after that was not. She pulled a comb from her bag and began eating the salad with it, according to four people familiar with the episode. Then she handed the comb to her staff member with a directive, clean it. So yeah, and then the article goes on to say that like many of her former aides say that she wasn't just demanding, i.e. that kind of like good but tough boss we were talking about earlier, but often dehumanizing. Not merely a tough boss in a capital full of them, but the steward of a work environment colored by volatility, high-handedness, and distrust. So that is sort of like a recent... Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that look is uh, quite a look. Part of the problem for me is that we have... You know, I get that, like, executives are busy, and I understand that they need support. And a senator is an executive. (laughs) Right, and a senator is definitely an executive. And, you know, and a campaign or, like, going to visit your home state or whatever, I, like, I understand the things that need to happen. But the line between, like, a boss that is tough and demanding and a boss who is dehumanizing is actually, like, a very bright line. Like, there's not a... There's not a, you know, you're not like walking some sort of fine line there for me. It's, well, are you asking people to do their job? Are you asking them to be your nanny and your babysitter and to pick up your kids and to to do whatever the things are that make your life possible? I understand like getting lunch for your boss, but I mean, Klobuchar, maybe you should carry your own fucking forks around, you know, so that it's not someone's job to do that for you all the time. And I know that people will, you know, like the pushback against this is that the the executive is always, you know, they have to use all their brain power to do other things. But I do think that we ask people to do tasks that are not appropriate in the workplace. Yeah, I mean, this story is interesting to me because actually, like the fork anecdote the comb fork anecdote that leads it. <laughs> also, can we just talk for two seconds about eating with a fork? I really want to stay with a comb? there with a comb. Like, what? Do you think it was like a scoop method? I, and I've thought about this so much. And every time there's a comb in my house, I look at it and I go, how? And I don't understand. Also, there is something that's so viscerally just gross about that. Like, the the idea of, like, a thing that is in hair being the thing. That, like, you know what I mean? I like I'm the, like, the, wouldn't you just eat the salad with your hands? I would 100% finger food that salad. Like, there's no question. Ugh, call us. We'll teach you this. <laughs> but, I mean, the thing is, like, the... Future President Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> <laughs> But but the thing about this article is, like, okay, so, like, that... And it's funny because, like, you know, like you remember that as, like, throwing a comb at the staffer or whatever. And, like, right. you know, and I think that, like, it, it is really, like, it is such a, like, funny and concrete image, you know? Like, but the rest of this article is, like, her basically being, like, I'm a tough boss. I have high expectations. And other people being, like, 
it's too much, essentially. Um, right. Also, who is not a tough boss who has high expectations? Like, that's how you get there, first of all. Right. And I think, like, this is really hard for, like, I actually feel like if you were, like, go on the record, is she a bad boss? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, there are people saying that, like, I felt dehumanized in this work environment. And I think that that is 100% valid and, like, worth considering. And and for me, the answer that is, like, listen, I am, like, a sitting senator. I'm, I'm campaigning. I'm always busy. This is just how I have to treat the people who work for me. And, you know, the, like that thing you said earlier about, like, my time is valuable and my, I need to use all of my brain for this. Like, that excuse it makes sense to me, like, why she thinks that that is an excuse. And also just, like, you can choose to be better than, like, the standard that has been set around you for people who have your job. I guess the reason that that excuse does not sit well with me is because I don't believe that a terrorized workforce is an effective workforce. Sure. You know, I'm like, it's it's just not true. And I think that it, it costs you nothing to not be, um, to not be mean to people. There's not a way to give someone your comb and say, clean it. That's the appropriate way of doing that. I was like, no, this entire scenario. I actually think there kind of is. Oh, my gosh. Like, listen, it turns out maybe me, you're a tough boss. Let me tell you the alternate <laughs> reality for the comb story. Okay, the comb story is the aide is like, here's your salad. I'm so sorry. There weren't any forks. And she's like, okay, what what could I possibly eat? Let's talk about this. And they're like, okay, here's a comb. And they laugh about it together. Like, what is more ridiculous than eating your salad with a comb? And then after she has completed the salad, she's like... Listen, will you please, would you mind? Like, you know, there's a ni- there's like a nice way to ask and there's a nice way to like joke about it as opposed to being like, you fucked up. Now wash this, like I clean mean, it. I you guess, know, that's I guess what I'm saying. I guess we were saying the same thing. I think that again, like the responsibility is on you and the way that you treat the people that are around totally. you. If you need someone to do, like it's no one's job function to wash your fork at work. Like it's just not. Even if you are like the CEO of blah, blah, blah. It's not. That's not a real job. You ask people to do that for you and you ask them nicely. And that's how that system perpetrates itself. I was like, even your executive assistant is not there to do like very menial tasks that we are asking of people. But you can ask them nicely and then we can all deal with it. But I guess like my point was just of saying that the excuse of like, I'm like, you can be someone who is professionally demanding of the people of you. That's everyone at their highest level at work is that way. You don't get to the top by, you know, who is the not ambitious person who like suddenly is like catapulted? Well, you the know, person with no expectations. Right. The person with no expectations. Yeah. But. I just think that for me, so much of so much of this is like, how are you like, what do you think of the people around you? And like, would you speak to people who work for you in a way that you would not like to be spoken to? Mm-hmm. And that's not a, I'm like, that should probably take up a little bit of your brain power. Because totally. again, I just don't think that you're being the effective leader that you think you are. Like you're just everyone is just scared of you. That New York Times piece also goes into retention in her office. And it says that she's had the highest rate of turnover in Congress. One of the highest, yeah. One of the highest. If uh, people don't stay working for you, is it that you're demanding or is it that you're a nightmare? Who doesn't want to work for a demanding boss who will make them be their best person? So this narrative like just does not line up for I me. I mean, some people don't, but probably not people who want to work for a senator. Yeah, not people yeah. who want to work for a mm-hmm. senator. I was like, you're like, what? I think that it's very demeaning of the people who work for them because they know. You're like, hello, I'm here. I would like also to be the best. The legislative assistant wants to be the best. The LD wants to be the best. This is the whole point. And you want to support them to do their best work. Asking someone to, like, wash your utensils, that's no one's job. Right. And I think, like, what's interesting when we start talking about bad bosses who are women is that there is a truth that when 
women are saying things neutrally, like it is perceived as like more direct or like, or, you know, more, you know, shrill or more like, you know, insert your stereotype here. It's like among people of all genders who have a woman that is in a position of power over them, they tend to perceive words and directives and things like that in in more negative ways than if a man is like, do this, do that. So that is true. And it is also true that that is something that bad bosses who are women hide behind, you know, like, it's mm-hmm. like, both of those things are true. And so I think it can be very difficult. Like, you know, when this story about Amy Klobuchar first came out, or when I've read any number of other articles about bad bosses who are women to kind of say, like, okay, I am weighing what I know about stereotypes mm-hmm. against what I know about my expectation for bosses. And also my what I understand about power, which is to say, like, when you come into a position of power in an institution like the Senate, where there are expectations about how you're, like, air quotes here, allowed to treat the most junior aides who work for you, the odds are not stacked in your favor for really, like, kind of reforming the system and doing it your way. And it's like you were saying earlier about people who join a workplace at a mid or lower level thinking that they can reform it. I actually think that some of those problems extend all the way to the top. Like you, in theory, have more power to reform it. But like, you know, the the system is powerful and already in place and it's yeah. bigger than you. The gears are, the gears have been grinding since grinding. before you got here. Well, I feel like this is one reason we want to talk about it is because like these are kind the kinds of things we talk about when we consider... A lot of the companies that have wanted to advertise with us, like when there are, you know, I mean, I think that it becomes very real, not just with companies led by women, but like as we try to think about how do we weigh accounts of what's happening internally at various places who are potential advertisers or people who we might want to work with outside of CYG? Like, do I take an assignment from an editor I know people say is a jerk or whatever? I mean, like for me very personally, like it is like a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that everyone has the kind of their own system for how they deal with that. Like, I think even internally with our podcast, we bring different feelings and different views on this. And it has been, like, really hard to have, a, you know, to have a standard because I think that whenever we get into this this tussle of, you know, our show runs on advertising, surprise. If you're listening, you get a show for free every Friday because we have chosen a model that we feel is the best model that works for us. And every time we get into this conversation of, like, this advertiser is in the news for doing something bad or, you know, or we know personally that this is an environment that does not work, sometimes we are 100% aligned and it's, like, not acceptable that, you know, like, it's fine. And then other times, really what the larger question is, is should we be taking advertising at all? Because... The can of worms factor is real. It's like, here's the actual can of worms, right, of um, here is the truth. We know what we know about companies that are being reported about, but we also know what we know about the workforce and capitalism. And there could be a profile of pretty much like every single company that advertises on a podcast about how they are doing something wrong. And in various categories, environmentally, human yeah. resources, like the product is bad. Right. Like, you know, like like the list is they've 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 run an ad somewhere else that is like racist or homophobic. I mean, there's like a million right. reasons. It's not yeah. it's not you're you're so right about mm-hmm. pointing that out. It's not this like cut and dry. It's yeah. like, oh, like they, they're bad to women at work. It's like right. mm, they're like bad to a lot. And of I things. would say bad bosses like one or bad work environment is one among like dozens of things that like may or may not come to light about every company. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that like it has been a very um I don't know I, I think that for me that's why that's the thing that keeps 
I keep coming back to of like I I understand why we make these decisions and obviously like sanction all the decisions that we have made personally but I think that it's also just a headache in that everything is a slippery slope once you you know slippery slope probably not the right uh, imagery here but yeah it's like it's the can of worms it's like the minute that you start examining one of these it's a can of worms rolling down a slippery slope right right. in in the canary in the coal mine you know (laughs) into the coal mine where it knocks into the canary And, you know, and I think about this both as a creator, but also as a consumer, Mm -hmm. because I've also been on the other side of like, I'm the person listening. I'm like, why is the sound running on my favorite show? Or what, you know, like, why is this person that I respect making this choice about something? And so I understand that visceral feeling of just like, this does not sit right with me or feeling like they're being a hypocrite in that moment or not. But I think that understanding the economics of it too i like i'm like i get it i get it but i know that emotionally it does not sit well with me Mm -hmm. and i think that it frequently comes up for us in this very particular context which is that i'm going to quote from this article that rebecca greenfield wrote in bloomberg business week about companies that are run by women and are sort of critiqued on an hr level She writes, here's how it often goes. A woman starts a company that caters to female consumers better than what's out there. The company uses that market differentiator to sell itself as a warrior in the fight for greater equality. Then it turns out the company itself is, in some way, not living up to the inspiring ideals that it's virtually made its (laughs) raison d'etre. I was like, it's raisins of etre? Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) Sorry, I was like, (laughs) but, but, um, but. I just understood what you were trying to say. Me too. I'm dying. I'm sorry. I'm like, it's not also I cut and pasted it so it wasn't italicized. all these days that I'm trying to teach you French and you're refusing, it has now all come to a head. 2022 goal there. There Um, Anyway, but I think that that is a good summary of the type of advertising that we often get on this show because we have a large audience that is dominated by people who identify as women and companies that are catering to women as consumers in like a new way are drawn to advertising on podcasts and on our podcast in particular. And so there is this like level of much in the same way we've discussed that like there is like a higher, a perceived higher sort of standard for us because of our professed beliefs. There is also a perceived higher standard for a lot of these companies. And I think that in many ways that's justified. Like, I think that, like, we are, we do think hard about, like, who do we, who do we absolutely say we won't work with? And, like, what are what are the kinds of ways we want to conduct our business as, as people who are also bosses ourselves now together? Um, but I, I really struggle with, I don't have a clear feeling for myself on whether it is warranted if you are making your money on, um, you know, professed like feminist ideals, for lack of a better shorthand. Um, if you need, if you are expected to be X percentage more feminist in all of your ways of working. And I, I feel like the answer, I want to say yes, even though that standard is really, wow. really, I know you would say yes. Interesting. I, well, it is interesting because I, I actually feel like the, um, with the caveat, sorry, I would say yes, with the caveat that you are working within a system where many times the only way to make it work at all is to compromise those values at least some. And so I guess I think like we have generally come down on the side of trying to be transparent about where we make the compromises. But I think that like the fact that we just don't say yes to everything that crosses our desk is a sign that like, yeah, we are applying like a kind of political or values lens to the way we do our business. And I think that that's right. No, I think that's right. And I'm proud to do it. It's also just like interesting about 
I guess, like, what the thing is that we think we're doing. Like, I don't believe that call your girlfriend the business, right? Mm -hmm. Like, not whatever, maybe the podcast too. Like, I don't believe that we are a feminist company. I was like, never. I was like, we are feminists who have a company. But the fact that we're peddling in capitalism already tells you that we're compromised from the beginning. And that's always an understanding that I've had. You know, companies that make like t-shirts that I like or stores that are run by cool feminists that I love. It's I, That has always been my understanding where I'm like, like, I understand what you say your values are, but I also understand that um, those values are not tenable under capitalism. So, you know, or not tenable, but like they're already compromised. And so this is what we're doing. The other end of this for me, like the place where I think I chafe at a lot from some of the reaction, like hearing you say that, um, you know, like, are we held to a higher standard? I reject the higher standard and I chafe at the higher standard because, again, this is why whenever people who say that they're feminists, and I don't mean like, you know, the empowertizing people, let's get real here. For people who like say that they're feminists or for people who say that they are justice-focused people who also start businesses, those businesses fail all the time (laughs) because the support is not there. So hearing from listeners like, we don't like that you're doing this or we don't like that you're doing that. The question there for me is like, well, like, is there enough of you that you can actually make a difference in how business is made? Are you, by holding some people that you like to a higher standard, like, are you contributing to the fact that there is just less of an opportunity for people who, I won't say good values because that's, you know, like, I will not position my values as good, but, uh, like, I cannot make that judgment. But are you holding back people who have, like, a very particular bent about justice from, like, participating in business at all. And I think that that's a thing that, like, as consumers, people should have to contend with all the time. I, like, whenever we get these emails, I'm always like, when was the last time that you emailed, like, CNN or, like, you know, someone who is, uh, like, a bigger fish in our ecosystem to hold them accountable the same way that you are trying to hold um, to hold us accountable? And so... Um, I don't know. Like, I think about that a lot because, you know, I'm like, I'm also that consumer. So it's a very uncomfortable kind of feeling. But I also think that it's something that we can all, the only way to navigate it is with more transparency. It's not with, I like certainly do not feel under assault by, um, you know, like people questioning the kinds, uh, like where my money come from. So like, this is not a, this is not one of these like a, I'm complaining about the critique that I get. I was like, no, like the critique is valid and the critique is good. And I think also this is how we all sharpen each other. But I think that it is worth putting everything on the table then where it's like, well, then what is the place for people with strong values to participate at all in having their own businesses? And I don't know what the answer to that is. Right. And I think like much, much like the, the difficulty in delineating the difference between like, oh, this is like a, this is actually like a bullying boss. And this is just like a workplace where I'm being pushed to work hard. You know what I mean? Like the way that that difference is difficult. I actually really struggle myself with the difference between, um, I want to, like conduct this business in a way that aligns with our professed values. And that's not even like good value, whatever, just like the things we, yeah, just our values, our professed values. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, That to me, it has to be, there is some kind of middle ground between that and like everything is dirty. Like we say yes to everything. You know what I mean? Like it is a real. And we don't. So like we are somewhere in that messy middle. Right. And I think that the, the way that this ties back in for me specifically about this bad boss conversation is that, 
it, like it affects everyone whether you work at these places or not the stink is on all of us now <laughs> and so the point of like it's more complicated than someone just being a bad boss it has like it has a ripple effect it also i think if you are a person who is thoughtful makes you think a lot about how how entrenched you are in the system whether you are in that company or not and I, I just wish that, like, in our industry, in particular in podcasting, that it were something that everyone was having more transparent conversations about. Yeah, I think that it's also worth noting that, like, one thing we often try to do if there is an article about some behavior that an advertiser we have had is undertaking, right? Like, so alleged behavior or, like, they 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 do something that, like, we do not think is values aligned. Often there is a behind-the-scenes back channel where we ask follow-up questions about it, where we try to get more information, right. where we're like, how are you addressing this? And and frankly, like how those advertisers respond to those queries also informs how we make decisions going forward. Because right. I think one reason why um, it is fair to say if you have these professed values – what are you doing about it? The what are you doing about it isn't always just why aren't you rejecting these ads? Like some of it is like, how are you exercising your power as a person that these people want to be in business with to I mean, say? I feel very comfortable about how we are exercising it, our power. Exactly. And I guess I guess I think that like it's worth saying explicitly that like that that is sort of how I negotiate some of that gray area between it's all capitalism, who cares? And like we're being held to an unfair standard of purity, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's like, how are you using the power you have? And I also think about this in other consumer contexts of like, you know, like my friends who watch football. I'm like, where are you petitioning for the like whatever rules for head injury? Or like, I don't know, like, like they don't care about me. I'm not a fan. But like, right. you know, um, sorry, that's like a ridiculous left field example. But um, <laughs> sorry, that, <laughs> your one football player fan is going to like friend. I have like two it. football player <laughs> fan friends or football <laughs> fan friends. OK, um, but I guess we we're talking about it in the context of this of this episode, because this particular charge of like a company led by a bad boss and often a company that has sort of like feminist light TM marketing. Yep. <laughs> um, this is something that we grapple with. And so like to make the point about a bigger, your point is very well taken that like a bad boss is not just affecting the environment within. And I think, you know, I want to live in a world where stories like this continue to come out so that people who yeah. work for bosses who are maybe struggling to find the like, okay, is this normal or not? Like to have an article written that's like, actually, this is not normal behavior that you feel this way. Or like, actually, you are allowed to walk away or, or set boundaries when someone is asking for something outside the scope of your job. I want to live in a world where those articles continue to come out and where people who have power to exercise, i.e. like an advertising partner like us or like someone who might want to be doing business with that company in another context can say like, hey, I uh, want you to know that this is an issue for us and we want to know what you are doing behind the scenes to address it. Yeah. Woof. Let's take a break. Another break. <laughs> Okay, I have a palate cleanser question for you. Tell me. I would love to hear you describe the best boss you've ever had. Hmm. I love that I'm, like, pretending that it's taking me <laughs> really long to think about. I've had two bosses that they were really effective in how they taught me to get better when I mess something up, you know, where... Because my pervasive feeling probably until I was 31 was every day. It was like, it didn't matter if I did well or bad at work that day. I was like, every day you're going to get fired. Like, I'm just like, yeah. like someone's going to let you go. It's just that, that was the fear in the belly every day. And I remember one time, like the first time that I like fucked something up like royally at work with the help of someone else, I might add. Just having a boss that was like, you know, 
there was a fire to fix the thing. It was like, yes, like it does not feel pleasant, to, especially like when you work in client services. It's like if you mess up, it's like actually looks bad for someone else. So we were rushing to fix the thing for the client. And it that was not pleasant at all because, you just, you know, it's just like, yeah, like you messed up, so we're doing it. And still, like at the end of the day, I did not feel like I was personally being like reprimanded. Mm-hmm. It was just like, yeah, it was like, this is bad. It can happen at work. And it's not the end of the world. And, like, here's what we're going to learn from it. And so that was the thing. We had this meeting that probably, like, that week where it was very much like, how do we learn from this mistake that was made? And never once was I made the center of the mistake. I remember that, like, very, 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 very clearly. Mm -hmm. And my boss taking some of the responsibility of, like, oh, yeah, like, you are kind of new here. Here's how the system, like, failed everyone, including you. And, like, how do we make that not happen? I just remember that, there, like, there's a way to do that kind of thing where you make the person feel very small. And instead, I was like, yes, I feel uncomfortable that I am a fuck-up in front of all of my colleagues. But also, my boss is like, it's like, we'll all bounce back from this. Mm. And in another context, had a boss who did something very similar. And I think that both times I was like, oh, yeah, this is, like, kind of the worst kind of place that you can be at work where you are. There's, like, feelings of shame and inadequacy. And if the boss steps up and is like, okay, like, we are going to fix it as opposed to you have to fix it yourself, that paid, like, dividends for me, like, later later at work and I think contributed so much to making me feel, um, to making me feel confident as a worker. And also, I, I don't know, like, it, it felt, like, very generous at the time. It was like, you're right. Like, if your, like, brand new baby employee, like, messes something up, probably, like, the system has failed this person mm. and not just that they're incompetent. So mm. those are my two good boss examples. Inspirational. Well, you know, who's your best boss? When I think about like good boss experiences I've had, I think about one boss in particular who really let me own the expertise that I had. My experience up to that point had been a lot of bosses who sort of like were like, yeah, like I know that this is in your title, but like I don't really trust your decision-making ability as sort of like a final word. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this is a boss who I think maybe even literally was like, oh, no, like I 100% trust your judgment. In fact, like there are many such decisions where you know better than I do. And I think that that really stuck with me um, because it is appropriately humble, like a- acknowledging that like just because you are sort of organizationally at the top, it doesn't mean that you are the expert, the be-all, end-all expert of everything that yeah. your team might be doing. It really set a tone for me of like understanding like, yes, am I ultimately responsible to this person for the good, the bad, everything else? Yes, like I do report to them. But I truly felt very empowered to like, meet like the goals we had set or make choices because he was I think literally like I trust you Mm. um because then whether it was like something good or bad and there was like (laughs) I mean I made mistakes and also did great things it's like it was very clear that I owned that and I guess that's like a little bit it's, it's almost like in some ways the inverse of like okay like if you screw it up we'll fix it together it wasn't that I felt like I was in it alone but it was more just like the sense of like yes you work for me but also you work for yourself and you work mm-hmm. for this set of goals that like you have that are related to the rest of what we're all doing but independent yeah it's like I think the ways that those two stories are similar are like bosses that make you feel confident mm-hmm. you know at work and make you feel that there are stakes about the things that you you do and I think that, that that's so important. Mm-hmm. It's so important to just be like, yeah, like you're like what you do here is important. Yep. And um, 
I really like that. Good yeah. job, that boss. I know. And also, I really, um, that person recognized that I did not work for them, the individual. Like, I worked for myself and my interest in building this skill set. And I worked in some ways for the larger organization, but I wasn't like working for them, air quote, you know? Um, I mean, you know, this is my number one pet peeve, right? When people are like, she works for me. Yeah. Yeah. When people say that. And people who say that are. It's particularly grating to me when that person is a middle manager. You mm-hmm. know, I'm like, don't worry, you work for 10 somebodies, fool. And that, like, it's the most telling thing about how someone feels about their colleagues. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, like, no one here works for you. You don't own this place. Yep. So they work with you. And that's it. And it really, man, I'm getting like stressed out. Like even, even a personal assistant, right. like yeah, they're they're there for some larger reason, you know. Yeah. yeah. And also, like shout out to the personal assistants mm-hmm. because assistants make everything run. Like that is a skill set that so many people do not have. And again, it's why the hierarchy of work drives me nuts mm-hmm. because it is not rooted in the reality of all of the hands that it takes to keep a place running. Totally. And we reward so much bad behavior and, like, bloated kind of titles. And actually, most workplaces, like, run because some of the people who get paid the least and get recognized the least do some of the, like, hardest work. Because they're managing up. Yeah. Yeah. They're managing up all the time. Yeah. And they have an attention to detail and have like the full story of what is going on in a way that so many people in silos do not. So yep. I am, um, yeah. <sighs> well, uh, I'm going to go to my podcast office now <laughs> with my podcast colleagues <laughs> who work with me, not for me. I just, I almost said I'm hanging up. <laughs> <laughs> you can't hang up. You're sitting across from me. I know, I know. Um, I'm emotionally hanging up on you. Uh, Bye. <laughs> see you on the internet. Bye. See you on the internet. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. We're on Instagram and Twitter at CallYRGF, where Sophie Carter-Khan does all of our social. Our associate producer is Jordan Bailey, and this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. <laughs>